Hey, everybody, welcome to the Addiction Unlimited podcast, where you get to learn everything you want to know about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Angela Pugh, co-founder of Kansas City Recovery, life coach, and recovering alcoholic. To learn more about me, you can listen to episode zero on your podcast app or find us on the web at addictionunlimited.com. Does your brain start chattering and seemingly never stop? Do you feel distracted and unable to focus? Like your brain just won't shut up and it can be so noisy up there, it's overwhelming. I'm right there with you, my friend. The constant mind chatter, inner monologue, that inner voice that constantly analyzes every single thing about you, your life, your circumstances, your fears, and all of your shortcomings. Our heads are noisy places, and a lot of the time, that's a good thing. Science tells us that daydreaming is a sign of intelligence and can make us more creative. And reflecting on your problems and noodling over solutions is one of the best ways to move forward in life, even if it's not the most pleasant way to spend your time. But sometimes all that mind chatter in our heads gets me. We beat ourselves up for the slightest little things, talk ourselves out of doing things we should actually do, or get stuck in a loop of worry and shame questioning ourselves, every decision, every move, our future. And the loop happens because we get stuck with all the questioning and we don't provide any answers. This is when the mind chatter can get unhealthy. If you're spending hours replaying an uncomfortable conversation you had with your boss over and over in your head, where you can't stop thinking about where things went wrong with your ex, like during the weeks and months after a breakup, if you find your thoughts are so excessive and overwhelming that you can't stop them, or they're so obtrusive and distracting that your life and your work and your family responsibilities are all affected then that's what we call rumination. Now, I don't want you to blow this out of proportion and start catastrophizing your mind chatter because that's what we do. (laughs) So get really honest with yourself when you're trying to figure out where you land in this, right? Is it mind chatter or is it rumination? Especially those of us with addiction. We have brains that move very fast constant mind chatter and thinking aren't unusual. You're also talking about a group of people who have ADHD. Yes, people with addiction have higher rates of ADHD too. Uh, Recent studies have even said that ADHD is five to 10 times more common among adult alcoholics than it is in non-alcoholic people. So yes, we have brains that have a life of their own and they are super active and they have all kinds of thoughts and ideas that they want to share with us all day, every day. (laughs) And there's no question it can be overwhelming. It's like the background noise that never ceases from the moment you wake up to the moment you lay down to go to sleep. And it can even prevent you from going to sleep. I used to say, In my drinking life, I used to say I drank so much to quiet the noise in my head. I also want to take a moment to give a shout out to 
Kathy, because this was her topic. Last week in our private Facebook group, you guys had the opportunity to pick the topic for this week's episode. It was audience choice. Everyone posted their topics that they want an episode on, and this is the one that we picked. And by the way, the topics were incredible, and I'm going to do episodes on all of them because really, this is your show, and I want to always talk about the things that you need to and want to know more about. So thank you to Kathy for this incredible topic. Here's exactly what she posted. I put audience choice. What do you want the next? What do you want next week's podcast episode to be about? And she put intrusive thoughts. I used to tap them down with alcohol, and that's no longer an option. How to stop the chatter in your brain? Should I be doing more for my recovery, or am I okay? Is this setting a healthy boundary, or am I just being selfish and lazy? Have I become complacent? Do I need to take more action to make my life better, or should I just relax? It never stops. What tools should I be using other than meditation to quiet my mind from the never-ending chatter? So these are exactly the questions we're going to answer today. Should I be doing more for my recovery or am I okay? Is it setting a healthy boundary or being selfish and lazy? Have I become complacent? Do I need to take more action to make my life better or should I just relax? And what tools should I use to quiet my mind? So let's start with number one. Should I be doing more for my recovery or am I okay? You have to find your right balance for your recovery plan. And that takes some time and practice. And practice means trying and failing and trying again and effing it up and trying again and it not working, right? That's practice. And here's something I want you to think about. Sobriety is putting down the drink and all the substances. Recovery is all the work you do to feel better so that you don't want to drink and or use drugs anymore. I point this out because the distinction is important. I drank every day, so it made sense to me to secure my sobriety. I needed to do something for my sobriety every day. For me, that was going to AA meetings. I went every day for about my first five years. Now, don't use that as your guiding metric either, like you aren't doing a good enough job if you don't go to meetings every day for five years. I had life circumstances that allowed me the opportunity to do that. No kids, no spouse. I had little responsibility, really, so I was able to dedicate that much time to staying sober. Do I think this is a huge reason I never relapsed? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that everyone's plan is going to look like mine. This is one of the things I really appreciated in the episode I did with Matt Jur. Um, I'll link it in the show notes if you want to go back and listen to it. But he talked about going to AA and the people that wanted to tell him a very old school way of doing AA. And he was like, okay, look, My life circumstances don't allow me that space, right? Kids, wife, job. So he had to find his way that worked for him and worked for his life. There are a million different ways to do your recovery program. If you want to stay sober, you have to engage in activities that keep you away from substances. You have to have 
guidance from people that have already done it successfully. You have to have people on the same path to connect with and share your journey with, and you have to have accountability outside yourself. I want you to listen really closely. I'm going to repeat these things really quickly because this is the core of a successful recovery plan. If you just do these things, you have a way better chance of being successful, okay? You have to have guidance from people that have already done it successfully. You have to have people on the same path to connect with and share your journey with. And you have to have accountability outside yourself. Accountability means that you tell another person or people that you're making a decision to do something and you touch base with them consistently to let them know you're still on track. You can't be accountable to only yourself. And if you don't create outside accountability in your sober journey, what you're really doing is protecting your opportunity to drink or use drugs again because no one will know but you. And that's exactly why it doesn't work. So for my sobriety and just not taking a drink from one day to the next, you have to engage in something daily, especially in the beginning, for sure in the first 30 days, but really for the first 90, if you're really serious about this every day. Now for recovery, People have a misconception that because drinking is the cause of all the problems you have in your life, that when you stop drinking, all the problems are going to go away. Unfortunately, nothing could be farther from the truth. The drinking or drugs are a symptom. They're not the problem. The problem is we have super high anxiety, minds that race a million miles an hour, and we lack coping skills to deal with all the discomforts of life. We feel insecure, overwhelmed, disappointed, hurt, angry, bored, dissatisfied. We have fear about not being good enough, not being able to take care of ourselves and our families, fear of rejection, fear of the future, fear about money and making enough or not having enough, fear of failure, fear of success, fear of judgment. The list could go on and on. And these are all pretty normal life things. Partners, kids, jobs, family, health, debt, all the regular life things create a combination of all those feelings every day. We don't know how to cope with all those feelings. So we drink to numb them and escape them. When you stop drinking, that doesn't make all those problems disappear. It gives you a clear head and a support system, if you do it right, to start addressing the real problems, which you can't do if you're under the influence. But this is where the recovery part comes in. Remember what I said a minute ago. Recovery is all the work you do to feel better so that you don't want to drink or use drugs anymore. Recovery is working on coping skills. It's learning to get through anxiety, manage our feelings, start using different tools to help us navigate life easier. 
It's working on patience, forgiveness, self-esteem. It's addressing those issues you know you have and you know are unfair to everyone around you. (laughs) For me, that was being angry and mean. I was condescending and judgmental. I had a lot of narcissistic behaviors and I had to get that dealt with to feel better about myself, better about how I treated the people around me and better able to deal with my life. That's what makes you not need to drink anymore. And the more you want to work on those things, the better you will feel and the farther you will get. And this is one of the best anecdotes for the mind chatter, working on yourself in a positive way, making a commitment to be better and practicing that. You know, one of the very first recovery things I focused on was stopping lying. I would tell dumb lies about dumb stuff. Lying is a huge component of any addiction. I knew I wanted my family to believe me and trust me when I told them that I was going to be different, that I wasn't drinking anymore, and I was changing. I wanted them to believe me and trust me. And for that to happen, I had to be believable and trustworthy. And that means no lying. So that was one of my early things I focused on. Then I focused on my anger and learning to pause and be quiet instead of blowing up on people and being mean and condescending. At one point, I focused on being on time because I was a late person and I always felt embarrassed and like being late was a way that showed everyone what a mess I was. So I wanted to fix it and become a dependable person. That's what recovery is. Recovery is healing and changing and becoming a new version of you that you're proud of. The more you want to work on your recovery, the happier you'll be. The more you're channeling your energy into healthy activities and putting real focus into self-improvement, the nicer the mind chatter gets because you're proving it wrong. When you're focused on good things, you can also start redirecting the negative mind chatter to the positive things you're doing. So let's do the next one real quick. Is it setting a healthy boundary or being selfish and lazy? This is definitely a scenario that will cause your brain to spin out and increase that mental chatter. Am I doing the right thing? Am I being selfish like they always say I am? Is it okay to have boundaries? Are they going to be mad at me if I don't do this or that or the other thing? That mental chatter will make you doubt and second guess everything you do and everything you don't do. Now, understanding the difference here is going to take knowing yourself a little better. Meaning, you have to know yourself and what you need to be well in order to set healthy boundaries around your time, energy, and recovery. For example, I know I have to exercise to keep my anxiety manageable and to keep my mood in a good place. So I know if I skip workouts, I'm not going to feel as good. And sometimes that's detrimental. If I'm already in a low point in my energy and my mood, and then I skip a workout or two, I'm going to feel far worse than if everything's going great and I skip a workout or two. 
So let's say I have family in town and they want to go do something one night that's taking me out of my routine. I have to figure out what impact it's going to have on me before I can decide if I'm going to go. Is it going to be a late night that would cause me to miss my morning workout? Do I feel okay missing one workout? Or am I already in a vulnerable place where I really need to make sure I get to my workout? If I need the workout, I'm going to set a boundary and go home and make it to my workout. I will not sacrifice my overall wellness to accommodate anyone. So healthy boundaries protect your well-being and support your goals and keep you from a meltdown, right? Set boundaries around your time to make sure you have the appropriate time for your overall wellness. Set boundaries around your energy to make sure you don't let people that make you feel bad suck out all your energy reserves. Set boundaries around your recovery. Don't hang out with people that threaten your sobriety or go to places that don't support your sobriety or do things that don't get you closer to the new version of you. If it drags you backward, stay away from it. Your mental chatter will appreciate your clarity and protection. Do not get complacent. Do not neglect yourself, your goals, or your recovery ever. Next one. Do I need to take more action to make my life better or should I just relax? Let me first say this. When you're in a vulnerable spot, the noise in your head will get louder. And when I say a vulnerable spot, that can mean a lot of different things. You may be emotionally exhausted because your stress level is too high or you're having relationship problems that you can't stop thinking about. You could be physically tired if work has been extra daunting lately or your kids have been sick and you're low on sleep. It could be overwhelm or underwhelm for that matter. Anything that takes a bite out of your energy leaves you vulnerable. And when you're, when you're run down and vulnerable, that committee will prey on you. And like a good predator, it will tell you all the things you want to hear. You're too tired. You've earned some downtime. You don't need to do those things today. Right? It tells you everything you want to hear. And it sounds 100% believable. But here's the thing. When you are vulnerable is exactly when you need to take action and not get complacent. This may not sound like it makes sense with the question, but again, you have to know yourself to be able to figure out your balance. If you are vulnerable, you have to do things to replenish your energy stores. If you're not in a good place and you feel like you want to relax, then you aren't really relaxing, but probably avoiding. My favorite thing is to combine action and relaxation. Listen to something powerful while you relax. Taking action doesn't always mean physical action. Taking more action to make your life better can be a million things. And that brings me to our final question about how to deal with the mental chatter. What tools should I use to quiet my mind? You probably know for sure that one of the absolute best things you can do is meditate. 
And if you are now, as soon as that word came out of my mouth, if you immediately started engaging in all the reasons you can't meditate, well, I've tried that. It doesn't work for me. You know, I really, I've tried meditate. I tried it years ago, but my thoughts wander. Everybody's thoughts wander during meditation. That doesn't mean you're doing it wrong, right? (laughs) Like don't discount yourself. But you've heard me say this before too. When you think about meditation, that doesn't mean that you need to sit in a dark room, cross-legged with your eyes closed for an hour. I don't care if you do a three-minute meditation. Meditation is one of the best things you can do for yourself. Go on YouTube and search three-minute meditation. You'll have thousands of options right at your fingertips. And if you can't do three minutes of something, then you've got bigger issues, right? You need to call me for a coaching session because we've got bigger things to talk about if you can't do three minutes. And you also can't just do it a couple of times or do it three, four, five days and go, oh, I tried. It doesn't work. Listen, again, this takes practice. When you decide to do something because you want to feel better, you want to be different, you want to change your life, and say you do it three, four, five days, and then you forget and you stop doing it. As soon as you remember it, you just start doing it again. You don't need to beat yourself up and blow it out of proportion and make it a big deal. You just start doing it again. That's called practice. The more you do it and the more you re-engage, the better you will get, right? So meditation is definitely number one. The other things I'm going to talk about are kind of coming from a different direction. They're not the standard tools that you're going to hear about or read about everywhere. I want you to think about getting stuck in that loop, right? The mental chatter is like it's on a loop. It just goes around and around and around. The problem with the loop is it is stuck with the questions and no solution. You have to get to the solution. We love to obsess and ruminate over all the problems. That's where our brains want to naturally go. They want to stay stuck in the problem, questioning everything about the future, future tripping, freaking out. But you have to get to the solution, right? And we're going to talk about this also in the way of finish the thought. Okay, so what's the question? Um, What if I can't afford it? What if I don't have the money? Like say you've got bills due and you don't have the money. What if I don't have the money? Okay. What if you don't have the money? Play it through. What if you don't have the money? What is plan B? What will that look like? What are some other options? How can you troubleshoot that issue? Or how about I'm so scared to do that thing, whatever. I'm so scared to ask for a raise. Okay. And what? What's going to happen because you're scared? Being scared of a situation is just discomfort. We can all get through discomfort, but finish the thought. And if you're catastrophizing and really blowing things out of proportion and future tripping, with that catastrophizing, let's throw in a little side of logic. Like, yes, I'm scared. It's uncomfortable. And I've gotten through a million uncomfortable situations in my life. It'll only be uncomfortable for a minute. And millions of other people have done this and they're fine. You see what I'm saying? Play it through. Get to the solution. 
and bring some logic into the catastrophizing. You know, in 12 steps, we say you have to get things right sized because we love to blow things out of proportion and make them way bigger than they actually are. So the first thing I got to do is get it right sized. I have to really think about it in a logical sense rather than emotional, but in a logical sense, like, okay, what am I really freaking out about here? And how can I troubleshoot it? What is the solution? What if the really bad thing happens? What if I am really scared to go to my first AA meeting? Well, welcome to the world. Everybody else in that room was scared to death also. And none of us died. Right? We're all, we all made it to our first meeting and we were welcomed with love and kindness. Were you afraid to ask for a raise? Well, so is everybody else. So maybe you spend some time Googling what's the best way to ask for a raise. So you have some tools. You see what I'm saying? Get in the solution. You're not expected to have the answers for everything, but I'll tell you in this digital age, there's nothing you can't find the answers to. So it's okay to be scared. It's okay for that mental chatter to start to spin. But when all those questions pop up and what if this and what if that and what if I don't get that and what if this doesn't happen and how am I going to do that? How will I ever survive this? How is this going to work? Finish the thought on those questions. Finish the thought and find the answers to the questions. Get in the solution. Another thing I want you to think about is being proactive or reactive. I prefer proactive, which means I like consistently doing things throughout my day to manage my stress and anxiety because I have a lot of it. (laughs) So I don't want to wait until I explode because I can't take anymore and I react badly. And being reactive doesn't always mean a real explosion or like freaking out on somebody and screaming and yelling. A reaction for me might be completely shutting down. If I let my stress build and build and build till I can't take it anymore, I'm probably going to shut down and cancel all my appointments for a day and lay on the couch and feel sorry for myself. That's a reaction also. So don't think about reacting in you know a negative, fighting, loud, screaming way because that's not always what a reaction looks like. But if I consistently do things throughout my day to keep my head calm and to combat that mental chatter, to slow it down, bring my stress level down, get my anxiety right-sized, then I'm being proactive instead of reactive. So think about what are some things you can incorporate in your day. I just told you go get three-minute meditations. You can do that 10 times a day if you need to. Those are great tools. The other thing about having all the questions in your head that I want to talk about is, you know, when when you have questions, when that committee in your head is doing rapid fire with all the questions and future tripping, if you have questions and you don't find the actual answers, your head will make up its own answers then you're out in the world functioning on completely inaccurate information that your head just made up. And that's the truth. So listen, think about it in these terms. Everybody can relate to this. Think about in your relationship or your past relationship. 
when you had questions going about, huh, I wonder why they did that or said that, or I wonder why they didn't call when they said they were going to, or I wonder what happened there. Why did they act like that? You have all those questions. You start creating your own answers. Oh, he probably doesn't like me anymore. That's why he didn't call. He probably doesn't want, he's probably, he probably wants to break up with me and he just doesn't know how to say it. He probably, you know what I mean? Like you start creating answers to your questions because you're too scared to just ask your person the damn question. So your head will create completely false answers. And I got to be honest with you, that's not serving you or anyone around you. (laughs) So again, get to the answer, find the answer to all the questions, follow those thoughts through. You also have to think about it in the regard of your willingness, right? You have to be willing to do something. You can't want it to go away, right? You can't want the mental chatter to be better, but don't take any action and then be pissed off that you don't feel better. It doesn't work that way, right? You have to be willing to take some action. You have to be willing to try the three-minute meditation. You might even search, go to YouTube and search three-minute funny meditation if that'll help keep your attention because there are some pretty funny ones. Whatever it takes for you. But again, be proactive so you don't end up reactive. Don't get stuck in a loop with no solution. Get to the solution. Get out of the problem. Finish the thought right? Get the answers to your questions. Be willing to do some work. Be willing to take some action. And I'm going to give you an action right now. First things first, I want you to make a list of things you can do to calm the mental chatter. All the tools you can think of, because so often we talk about having tools, and I'm not sure you guys really realize how many tools you actually have. I've given you a whole bunch of tools right here just in the last three or four minutes, but I want you to sit down and make a list of all the things you can do to calm your mind, calm your anxiety, and bring your stress level down. I want you to make the list because when your head is going a thousand miles an hour, you aren't going to be able to think of any of the things to do. So I want you to write it down right now. So next time your head starts spinning out and that mental chatter is driving you crazy, go to your list and pick one or two things and just do them. Even if you don't feel like it, this is where willingness comes in. You have to be willing to do something even when you don't want to, even when it sounds dumb, even when you think it doesn't work, you still have to be willing to try. If you want to feel better, you have to take action. So be willing to try. So that's what I want you to do right now. Make a list of all the tools you have at your fingertips. And really spend a couple of days on this, like have your list kind of ongoing, because if you keep thinking about all your tools, you're going to come up with different things at different times and just add them to your list and do it for two or three days just to keep that thought process going. Despite how sort of basic it may sound, that constant overthinking is a big deal it has major effects on your mental and physical health. 
it's really bad for you and it advances your brain's aging. That overactive brain chatter also is tied to a lot of other diseases, autoimmune disorders, heart problems, and emotional disorders like depression. At the end of the day, spending time thinking about issues or ideas isn't unhealthy, right? In some cases, even ruminating where you're really thinking about it a lot, even ruminating with a friend or your partner can make you closer and it can prompt you to take more actions and get to some better solutions talking those things over. There can be some real value in that mental chatter depending on how you use it. So listen to this episode another time if you need to hear that stuff again. What matters most is how your thinking makes you feel, right? If your thoughts are causing you distress, anger, anxiety, if you are ruminating on things to a point that it's pulling you away from the important things in your life, that's when it's a problem. So start taking some actions. Like I said, listen to this episode again if you need to, to really get clear on the things we talked about. Start making your list. Share this episode with someone else if you think they would benefit from hearing these tools and a fresh perspective on that mental chatter. These are the tools you use to combat that mental chatter. I hope you're having a fantastic day and I will see you next week. You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast, candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.